0: Welcome to Every Day Strong, the podcast that teaches parents, teachers, and other caring adults how their everyday loving actions can help their teens cope with
1: anxiety and depression. Hi everyone, it's Michael Ann. I am here today with one of my co-workers, Heather Hoag. Heather is the employee at United Way who oversees the mountain land continuum of care that is a coordinating body that helps coordinate homeless services for utah summit and wasatch county and heather has worked for united way running this um, committee for about six years but she's been in homeless services for 16. she is a wealth of knowledge and experience on how to support people in general who are experiencing homelessness Um, but i wanted to talk to her in particular about youth who are experiencing homelessness, because this is a somewhat unique population. And if you have a child who, if you have a a friend of your child, perhaps who um, is experiencing this, or you're a teacher um, with a child in your classroom, who's experiencing this, there's some things that we can do to really help them succeed and help them thrive. So I'm super excited to have Heather here today. Thank you so much for being here.
0: Oh, thanks for having me. I'm very happy to talk about homelessness and facets of homelessness anytime.
1: Yeah. So the first question I wanted to ask you, and um, when I asked you this, you know, a little bit before when we were, you know, pr- preparing for this conversation, I wanted to know how many youth in Utah are homeless. And you told me this is kind of a complex question to answer. <laughs> Tell me about why it's complex. Yeah,
0: you know, it's complex for a couple of different reasons. Um, the first reason is that there's multiple definitions of homelessness. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the primary definitions I work with is the HUD definition. So housing and urban development. And what we're talking about is people that have uh, are living in a place that's not meant for habitation. That's a very narrow subset of people experiencing housing insecurity. But it's also easier to track in some ways because usually they're coming in for places for services. We know them, we see them, You know, we're more familiar. Uh, the broader definition of homelessness is called the McKinney-Vento definition. And that is designed explicitly for people, uh, for students, um, actually, so that we can look at interventions for people that are experiencing housing insecurity. That's much harder to track because most of the time those people are doubled up or they're living in places that are insecure, but they're not living under like a bridge or in a van kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. So it's harder to kind of count those people experiencing that type of homelessness. And it's really difficult to say how many people are experiencing that type of homelessness. I can tell you in Utah County, we have no unsheltered youth, um, meaning that we have no one under 18 That is living in a place not meant for habitation in Utah County. Um, And this is from our 2023 point in time count homeless census. We have some people uh, with children living in domestic violence shelters, um, but we do not have anybody that is exposed to the elements.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The way that you kind of summarized it for me is, you know, the good news is that we don't have any children sleeping on the streets. Right. Which I think is like really encouraging to know. And I always like to think about, you know, The positives the things that we've been able to do well um that being said of course like there are some unique challenges that you're you're, that you'll face right if you're living um in a life that you know is is unstable can you paint for me a picture of like what this would look like you know if if i'm a child who falls under this legal definition what does life look like for me
0: you know it can it can look like a couple of different things but um best case scenario you're doubled up with a relative or someone that you trust but you're still experiencing this insecurity of housing that you have no control over you don't know if mom and dad are going to get along with the people that you're staying with or if the people you're staying with can afford to feed you guys or um you, you don't know from one day to the next um what what's going to happen um and I think that feeling of helplessness, particularly when it's so far outside of the control of the youth experiencing homelessness, um, it can be really demoralizing. It can be more than that trauma. It's actual trauma of having that level of insecurity for those very basic
1: needs. Yeah. And one thing we talk a lot about, you know, in Everyday Strong is this model of how We all have needs. And when we have our needs met, then we're able to thrive. And when they're not met, it's a lot harder for us to be the best version of ourselves that we could be. And the physical needs, I mean, that's just like the baseline for any human being, right? Just not having to worry about that. Especially if you're a youth and like, it shouldn't be your job when you're 13 to figure out like where you're going to get food from, right? Uh And even if the parents aren't intentionally giving that to you. You, you absorb it, right? I and mean, that's what I would imagine. Oh,
0: absolutely. I think people, youth that are living in an insecure environment, mm-hmm. even with the best parents, mm-hmm. and I mean, all of the parents, we can assume that most of the parents in that situation are doing the best that they can to care for and provide for their children. I think that's a safe assumption to make. Mm-hmm. But there's still um, There's still going to be this feeling of, of insecurity. I mean, not knowing maybe where your next meal is coming from. And even if it isn't your problem to solve, it is still a problem that you face. Mm-hmm. Not knowing if you're going to have to leave your friend group, your school, um, not knowing where you're going to live in a week, in a month. You know, that, that is, that's a lot of stress on a child. It's a lot of stress for an adult where you're in control somewhat and you have choices to make in that situation. A child doesn't have choices to make in that situation. They're going to feel the impact of it but they don't have any control to steer the ship.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's say that um, my child's friend, you know, um, I you know, they have this new friend in their friend group, and I kind of suspect that there might be something going on similar to this. Like, what are some signs that I might pick up on that would indicate to me that there is some level of instability?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I always recommend that people keep their eyes open. Um, watch, you know, something might be as simple as when the child comes over to your house after school, they're very hungry. Uh, they might mention that they don't get this at home. There's, there's things that they might say that are indicators that there's food insecurity. Um, or You might notice hygiene deficiencies, Mm -hmm. often when parents are in that survival mode of trying to find where are we going to sleep tonight, where are we going to have our next meal coming from, how am I going to pay for this, do we need to go to the doctor, all of those things are so forefront of what the Mm -hmm. experience is, Mm -hmm. that sometimes there's hygiene deficiencies, they may not have a place to wash clothing, they may not have reliable running water, Um, there's so many of those little things that can sort of slip through the cracks Mm -hmm. when those primary needs are in a struggle to be met.
1: Yeah. Well, and I can imagine, like, let's say, you, you know, you notice that this child's clothing, for example, isn't as clean right. as it could be, right? I can imagine easily a way to handle that that would be very cruel. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and, 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 and I, and I can't imagine any of, any of our adults listening to this would want to do yeah. that on purpose, right? But sometimes it can be hard to know what to do or how to have that conversation. So Absolutely. what do you recommend?
0: You know, I recommend... Well, this is something difficult for me sometimes. Just think before you speak. (laughs) Um, I struggle with this on occasion. Um, But the thing about it is um, we don't want to in any way make judgments on the child Mm -hmm. or shame the child. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they'll know there's a deficiency and sometimes Mm -hmm. they will not. It's Mm -hmm. going to depend on the age, uh, the acuity of the child. Mm -hmm. um, And depending on the age of the child, I recommend making them a partner. Mm -hmm. making it a teaching and a learning experience Mm -hmm. so for example you know if uh if if laundry seems to be the problem let's let's talk about teaching a child how to do laundry Mm -hmm. you know it's a really easy thing to say you know what you're gonna to go to college in a few years. You're yeah. gonna to have to know how to do this. Yeah. Let's figure this out. I got some socks I gotta throw in. I got a shirt. You wanna throw in your shirt? I've got a shirt you can wear for my sons or whatever. Yeah. You wanna throw in your socks? Let's do this. Let me show you how to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes you can have the child teach you what they know. Um, I found this to be really effective with my nieces and mm-hmm. nephew. Mm-hmm. Um, I recently was babysitting um, and I didn't know what the house rules were. So it was like, teach me what your house rules are, tell me what your house rules are that makes them an active participant. And it also gives them a level of autonomy. Um, And uh, when you're participating in a shared learning experience, Mm -hmm. it's not threatening Mm -hmm. and it's not shaming and it's not judging. Um, You know, you might take a similar approach if you notice the child's hands and face are dirty. Hey, I got some new soap over here. Show me show me how you would wash your hands if you were doing this. If you were a surgeon, how long do you think you'd have to scrub your hands for? Or you might say, you know what, my face is so dirty. Let, let's go wash my face, you know. Mm-hmm. And while you're washing your face in the bathroom, they can wash their face with the, you know, there's, there's so many ways to make that a shared experience mm-hmm. um, yeah. that are not making judgments and mm-hmm. not pointing out ways that their lives might have deficiencies. Mm-hmm. We don't want to do that, um, especially, again, as these things are not their fault. Um, They're not things they have control over. Um, And so when we make it a shared teaching learning experience, um, it also puts us in a good position of safety, because they know that we're not making judgments about them. They know that we have their best interest in mind Mm -hmm. and not that we're shaming them.
1: Yeah. I love the way you describe this, because I think sometimes there's a desire like on our parts as adults because we can see the big picture like let's like solve this problem like in a big way right like let's like you know tell you that you need to be doing laundry more and then it'll be solved and you won't ever have this struggle right? right but what i love more about your approach this is what we're always trying to teach with everyday strong is that you know the way to meet needs and the way to like care for someone and show that you care is just through like every little baby step that you do, right? right? It's like, I can see in front of me that this laundry, that your clothes probably need to be washed, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm going to care for that. And it feels so micro, but it's like those little steps that start to add up to this feeling of like care and I'm on your side and we're partners in this, right? And it may not fix the problem forever and ever and ever, but you've met their need in that Mm -hmm. moment in a way that yeah that that demonstrates that
0: and not just physically meet the need too Mm -hmm. i mean Mm -hmm. by creating a front where you're on the same team Mm -hmm. you're placing yourself Mm -hmm. as an adult who is in a trusted position of safety Mm -hmm. and while it might seem like you've not done a lot you know Mm -hmm. you've washed their hands and their face you've Mm -hmm. washed their socks Those are very small things. They really are. But the big thing is they've got now permission to talk to you about other things, Mm -hmm. bigger things in their life. And you've become a stabilizing force. um, And... Also, I can't underestimate the importance of normalizing these Mm -hmm. discussions. Okay, I mean, teenagers, they don't have their hygiene figured out. Like, I mean, (laughs) I didn't at 15. Yeah. You know, I had Mm -hmm. friends who were like, you know, deodorant's a thing. Uh uh thing." Uh And um, that is a normal experience Mm -hmm. that we have as human beings. Yeah. And when we can talk about it in a way that isn't in any way shaming or blaming. Mm -hmm. um, Like, you know, my friend's teenage boy. It was time. (laughs) It was time for deodorant. Okay. (laughs) And uh, we were out at a park, and uh-huh. well, you know, we all noticed it was time for uh-huh. him with deodorant yeah. thing. Uh-huh. And I was like, hmm, I'm, I raised my arms up. I'm like, I can smell my deodorant today. I really love the way that smells. Can you smell that? Doesn't that smell good? Uh-huh. And he's smelling my armpits and laughing a little bit. But it opened the conversation up about that hygiene mm-hmm. in a way that was not blaming or shaming. Mm-hmm. It's just deodorant is a thing and we wear deodorant, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> we can do that when we're working mm-hmm. with our, our children's friends, when we're working mm-hmm. with, with youth that come into our sphere of influence mm-hmm. in a way that, again, normalizes it. And it's not you stink because you're homeless. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we're not
1: going to do that. But, but there's, the way there's that a way that can be your, your attitude if you don't realize it. Absolutely. Right? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: And, you know, instead of saying, you know, uh, you know, you, you really got an odor there. Let's let's mm-hmm. take care of that. Yeah. You can say, hey, this is a thing that we all do. We all do laundry. Mm-hmm. We all wash our hands. We all wash our face. Does yeah. this soap smell like lemon? It smells like lemon to me. I mean, we can really normalize that experience, yeah. which is, again, another stabilizing factor
1: for youth that have this insecurity. Yeah. Mm. I love all these ways of, you know, meeting those needs in a way that also builds emotional safety, you know, doing those kind of in tandem um, you'd mentioned something at the very beginning. I want to go back to. Uh, you had talked about, and I always get the 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 way to say this wrong. The McKinley McKinney Vento <laughs>
0: McKinney Vento McKinney. I don't know why I can't get it right. <laughs> no, but,
1: um, <laughs> um, but so this is like a a government definition of homelessness that schools use to understand like what's happening to children. Right. And you've mentioned to me before that school districts have what they call McKinney-Vento advocates. Correct. And tell me about that. Like, What's that role in a school district?
0: So every school district is going to have a specific person hired to be the McKinney-Vento coordinator. Mm -hmm. And what this means is that they're going to work with all of the schools in their district Mm -hmm. to basically find and fill service gaps. Mm -hmm. If there's a need with the children in in Mm -hmm. elementary through high school, all the way up, Mm -hmm. Um, they coordinate with school counselors, with principals, with teachers, um, to help ensure that those needs are met. Um, And this can be something like there's a food pantry at the school and they give Mm -hmm. them a way to sort of incognito get food for their family for the weekend with a backpack. It might be something as much as like introducing them to other activities and peer groups. So there's some friend support Mm -hmm. might be tutoring. um, And in some cases, it can be things like providing transportation. If a family loses their home or has to move from their school zone um, without uh, excuse me, if they have to move out of their school area um, during the middle of the school year because of housing insecurity, mm-hmm. McKinney-Vento coordinators can provide transportation to keep them in the same school and have that consistency throughout the school year. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of things that a McKinney-Vento coordinator can do to help with people that are experiencing housing insecurity mm-hmm. so that we are helping to enable them to be successful, to mm-hmm. graduate school, to to be at the same level of their peers, um, mm-hmm. Because when you're surrounded by that insecurity and that trauma, that's another thing that's really easy to let go is that study time, grades. It's not so important if you don't know where your next meal is coming from, if you don't know where you're going to be sleeping. Um, Those things can fall through the cracks. But when we're looking at breaking the cycle of generational poverty, we know that education is invaluable. Um, And the role that those adults play within the school district are often frontline you know, responders. Um, they're the ones seeing that the child has got something going on and able to respond with those frontline needs.
1: Yeah. So let me ask you, like if I'm a caring adult, you know, again a scenario where my is my child's friend or maybe I'm a teacher, like how do I find this 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 coordinator?
0: Oh, that's a great question. Um, so each school district is, I mean, you can literally Google it. Each mm. school district is going to have like McKenny bento Alpine School District kind mm-hmm. of a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can also talk to the school counselor. Mm-hmm. Um, they're going to know the resources available, mm-hmm. not just for their school, but for the school district. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it can help coordinate things yeah. that you might need, supports that you might need.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it seems like an amazing resource. Like, you know, even if it's not exactly housing instability or homelessness, right, it's just, I'm just kind of worried about this kid, right? Like, right. can I get them some extra help beyond what my family can just provide? I mean, that's right. a great person, an advocate to have on your side. Absolutely,
0: yeah. yeah. The school counselors are kind of miracle workers. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> it's a hard job. It's <laughs> a hard, hard job, yeah. you know. Adults have choices, kids don't. Mm-hmm. And so when you're working with children that are experiencing um Trauma, you know, in wh- whatever way that is, mm-hmm. helping to empower them is is so critical.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I want to talk for a second about something you just said right there, too, about um, sort of the, the influence that adults can have on a child. You know, I think I've said this many times on this podcast, how important, you know, a relationship with at least one caring adult can be yeah. for helping a child overcome trauma. And of course, their parents care. Um, but, you know, also you being an influence there is so important, but also this, um, this peer group mentality, you know, like it's, um, it's so interesting to think about like what can happen. You know, I think, um, I can imagine that it's easy for a child who is, um, you know, maybe a little bit withdrawn or like their hygiene isn't as good or like any of these kinds of factors, right. Can maybe be a little excluded, like Mm -hmm. from a friend group. But what's the value of making sure they're included?
0: You know, there's so much value. I mean, not just, I hate to say this because it sounds so simplistic. We're normalizing the childhood experience, okay? Mm -hmm. I mean, Mm -hmm. children typically have friends. Mm -hmm. They have people. It also teaches us boundaries, how we treat people, how we allow Mm -hmm. ourselves to be treated by other people. Mm -hmm. That really sets up a foundation for the adult relationships that we have, personal Mm -hmm. and professional, um, the Mm -hmm. way that we interact with our peer groups, but more than that, when, you're, when you've got a child that's dealing with housing insecurity or food insecurity or any of these trauma situations, mm-hmm. one of the things about generational poverty is that they don't have a perspective that there are different ways to live. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, if we think about our own experiences with childhood, in some ways, we're kind of in a little bubble. Um, mm-hmm. And what we experience with our home, we don't have a perspective outside of that. Mm-hmm. We don't know that this is normal or this is not normal because it's all that we know. Yeah. When you've got a child that's dealing with housing insecurity, they may not understand that there's a different way to be. Um, and this isn't normal, if you will. Mm. Um, having that peer group can help to show them a different perspective about ways to interact with their family, ways to interact with other people, ways to interact with their teachers. Um, There's there's an expanded perspective that comes with familiarity of other people and their circumstances. And so again, that peer group is really critical Mm -hmm. because, you know, we don't want that generational poverty cycle to continue. Mm -hmm. And if we don't even have an understanding that it can be different... Mm -hmm. There's no breaking free from that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's where the value of that human connection is about Absolutely. so much more than just the connection. I mean, I even think about my own high school experience. Like, my parents did not push SAT, ACT scores on me, like, at all, yeah. right? But I had this friend group who were, they were all Ivy League-bound I was not going to go to an Ivy League. That was not my style. But like just them having that kind of rigor and that kind of ambition, I think, imbued me to like think about it more and like to be able to go on and get a good education, which maybe I probably would have anyways. But like there's so many things that, you know, just is not in some parents culture that like you can really help change a child's life by them just being around people who think a certain way
0: right yeah. well i mean just showing them new
1: possibilities
0: mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm.
1: yeah someone like me could do that mm-hmm. right yeah that's lovely um one of the questions i want to ask you in closing is i think a lot about uh how easy it is for any child who's going through something really hard to kind of put out like porcupine bristles right, right. just like you know, don't talk to me about this particular hard thing or just like, I just kind of am putting off these vibes of don't approach me. Um, you know, what would you say? Like if you've, if you suspect there's a child going through a really hard time, especially housing instability, like how should you approach that situation?
0: It's a good question. Um, there are a couple of things that come to mind that I would suggest. And the first is that the timetable that we think people should have for their lives or accepting mm-hmm. help is not the same as the timetable that they have for their lives. And particularly as children get older and they have this more autonomy, you know, mm-hmm. sort of uh, mentality, which is a very positive thing. Mm-hmm. We want adults that have autonomy. Okay. Um, they have choices about what they want to disclose when they want to disclose and how much for many of these children, they're living in a situation where they have no control. This is something they have control over, what they share, who they share it with, etc. So I think not to be frustrated if they don't respond to help requests or friendly overtures in the way that we want them to respond. Because again, they get that choice and they're going to hold on to any choices that they have in their life that are completely theirs. But to keep that hand out continually because... Just because they say, don't talk to me today and tomorrow and next week doesn't mean in two weeks they're not going to need a shoulder to cry on. And that kind of the second thing I was I would suggest is to continually be that safe place. Um, people know when they're genuinely cared about versus when they're a service project. We've all been on both ends. I've been the recipient of genuine care and I've been on the recipient <laughs> end of a service project. Mm-hmm. One feels very different mm-hmm. than the other. Mm-hmm. But as we're keeping that line of communication open and we're hoping to be a safe place, a safe, trusted adult, think about the ways that we can show that we're a place of safety that do not exacerbate the trauma that they're already going through. Mm -hmm. Um, That might be you know, asking them how they are, but let's not go into details. Don't ask them, yeah. did your dad find a job yet? Right. <laughs> like, let's yeah. not do that. Like, there are things that we can do to make children feel as though we are safe, judgment-free, shame-free in a way that they can come to us on their own timetable. Um, And I, I think that's really critical that we think about that and the way that we we want to show that we're judgment-free.
1: Yeah. Something that you said in there that I loved in particular where you said that, like, a lot of times if you are in an unstable situation, you feel a lack of control. Absolutely. And I think it's so easy to look at someone's behavior and just be like, why are you doing that? Like, I'm just trying to help. Or, like, this is, like, not helping you by, like, being upset at me or whatever, right? But I really love the shift with Everyday Strong of just trusting, right? Like, right. trusting that there's... People do what they do for a reason, Mm -hmm. right? Even if they might not even know what that reason is, there's some kind of need they're seeking to fulfill. And whether that's competency and autonomy or whatever it is, right? Like, um, I think it allows us to be very gracious and very loving, um, even towards behaviors that maybe are a little bit aggravating to us (laughs) as caring adults, right? Like, why are you such a cranky kid, you know? (laughs) Yeah. 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 I love that. Heather, thank you so much for being here today. I just love talking to you and you have so much insight about how to cope with this. Um, yeah. Thank you again. Oh,
0: thank you. Happy to be here. If this episode resonated with you, you can check out our free resilience handbooks and online learning at www.everydaystrong.org. These tools tell you exactly what you can do to help the kids in your life feel safe, connected, and confident. You can choose to create a relationship with your children that will help them to learn to be resilient, regardless of the challenges life throws their way.